From Welcome Villain Films, the studio that brought you the horror hit Malum, as well as Beaten to Death and Hunter Killer, comes their newest nightmare, Mind, Body, Spirit, now available on digital. Directed by Alex Haynes and Matthew Miranda, and produced by Dan Asma, Mind, Body, Spirit follows Anya, an aspiring yoga influencer, as she embarks on a ritual practice left behind by her estranged grandmother. What starts as a spiritual self-help guide quickly evolves into something much more sinister. As Anya becomes increasingly obsessed with the mysterious power of the practice, she unwittingly unleashes an otherworldly entity that begins to take control of her life and her videos. Now, Anya must race to unlock the truth before her descent into madness threatens to consume her mind, body, and spirit. During its festival tour, which stops at Chattanooga Film Festival and the Unnamed Footage Festival, Mind, Body, Spirit garnered praise from critics who call it a found footage version of Hereditary and a knockout found footage horror movie for the live stream era. Experience the first ever yoga-themed found footage horror film and don't miss the film viewers have called extremely frightening and upsetting. Available now on digital anywhere you rent or buy movies online, including Prime Video and Apple Plus. When you pick up some scratches, cause you want a fun break. The playful way you scratch is the next choice you should make. You can make your dog's leg kick and scratch with that. You could even grab a laser pointer and use your cap. You could build yourself a homemade scratching machine. Or use a piece from your chest set. Go ahead, grab the queen. Scratch like a DJ with your record player. A cactus could scratch off that scratchable layer. Cause when it comes to scratching, there's a million playful ways. Thanks to scratchers from the California lottery, a little play can make your day. Please play responsibly. Must be 18 years or older to purchase, play, or claim. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, how to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, how to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. New activation and upfront payment for three-month plan required. Taxes and fees extra. Additional restrictions apply. See mintmobile.com for full terms. ACAST powers the world's best podcasts. Here's the show that we recommend. What is The Briefing Room? It's a behind-the-scenes look at how the criminal justice system works and the lives of the people within that system. If you love true crime, well, these are the real people who do the job every day of making sure justice is served. Hi, I'm Detective Dave. I'm Detective Dan. Together, we have decades of experience in local law enforcement, a profession that we think is often misunderstood. So we're going to explore how to do it right, and we won't shy away from when it's done wrong. These are stories you'll hear nowhere else. Unique, frank, and unvarnished. From the team that brought you Small Town Dicks, this is The Briefing Room. Episode 1 drops on August 30th. We'll meet you in The Briefing Room. Acast helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. Acast.com And welcome back to Scarred for Life, the podcast where we open up old wounds by looking back at the films that scared us as kids. 
I'm Terry. And I'm Mary Beth. In each episode, our special guest brings with them a movie that traumatized them as a child. This week, our guest is Nick Kazakis. He's a horror and music video director who's worked with musical artists like Tones and I and has made shorts like Hunter. His latest film, Godless, The Eastfield Exorcism, which I am quoted as saying it had my stomach in my asshole on a little cuts, is currently streaming on Tubi. Welcome to the show, Nick. <laughs> Thank you so much for having me. Big fans of your work, especially your review of our film. This is uh, one of the best <laughs> things that came out of my whole entire life. So I don't know if that's sad or amazing, but it was, uh, it was so good to read that. As soon as I did that, I'm like, I'm putting that everywhere. I might even get it tattooed. Hell yeah. <gasps> wow. <laughs> Wow. <laughs> Make it permanent. <laughs> it was just... <laughs> so glad. Changing lives every day with my pros. <laughs> it was just um like you know, after we've had like quite a lot of complimentary reviews, it was just the one that stood out the most. And I'm like, you know what? I'll never unhear that. So it was um it was perfect. It's honest, it's raw, it gets right to the point. <laughs> right in the moment. <laughs> right in the moment. Anyway, well, let, can you tell our listeners a little bit about Godless, the Eastfield Exorcism, if they're not familiar with it? Yeah, so it's um, it, it's a film that is born out of um, a lot of in, uh, events that are inspired by it. So it's like, I was trying to come up with a film that was kind of your conventional exorcism films. I love those films. I love that subgenre. But um, the more I started researching um, the exorcism genre and the, the real-life cases, the more I was horrified about real-life exorcism and um, mm. what was going out, on out there. And, like, mm. I couldn't shake that feeling. I couldn't shake the uh, whole unnerving situation of, like, people dying by exorcisms and how eerily common they were. So then we had constructed a, a film with our writer, Alex An Anglis Wilson, who um, kind of took most of these cases and compiled it into one. And our film is about Lara, who is a woman that's tormented and torn between science and faith, but she's pushed by her husband to seek treatment from a congregation of zealots uh, and a ruthless exorcist who will try to save her soul by putting an innocent woman through hell. So it was a really dark subject matter. And, um, you know, whilst it's not a conventional exorcism film and we don't have like those spinning heads happening, we still have an exorcism film because it's technically an exorcism, just not in the uh, usual way. Yeah. yeah. So what um, so I, I watched it today and what really struck me was I, so I'm not a huge fan of exorcism films. I, I, I feel like we've seen a lot of them. But what I really enjoyed about yours in particular is the way in which it's sort of subverted expectations and kind of put an eye on different people in the exorcism as opposed to the idea of the devil and stuff that there was actually um the people doing it which maybe yeah. not exactly the best people to be performing an exorcism yeah yeah it was um it was kind of like to to reframe the monster so to speak was like yeah. really kind mm -hmm. of a tricky thing for us to try and um pull off and hopefully we did i mean it seemed to have worked for oh, you, you Mary Beth, but um yeah it, like i'm glad that it uh re has resonated with some people because you know we go out there and we, we put the film on and we've had screenings and we get nervous it's like oh what if people are just going to be so disappointed that we don't have a reagan type that's going to be like walking backwards and all those kind of things but it's really kind of worked out well for us that we had we did take a different path with it so like we're pretty proud of it and um we're just excited to get as many eyeballs across it um and i love hearing the feedback as well like i've had so many people dm me and other people in the cast and all that and i'm i'm pretty kind of active in replies so it's been um it's been fun connecting with people about how they felt about the film so it's been good yeah so i had read a 
I read a review that was talking about how it was um they they said that I mean you obviously said that it's based on a bunch of different exorcisms and they had brought up this one that happened in 1993 I think in Australia that was I was reading that and I I I noticed a couple points that definitely I could see pulling from that based on a true story aspect and that story was pretty hellish is that one that um do you know if that one is one that really influenced your writer yeah, uh, I'd have to ask him specifically, but like he took a bunch of court cases. So it's like okay. there was there was one um, in particular from New Zealand that was like pretty much the same thing. And it was, you know, a woman that suffered mental health uh, issues. And um, it, and this is what's so crazy about it as well. It's like I, I think that one from 93 is like a pretty good reference. But I'm going to tell you the one from New Zealand that's almost identical. And it's like. She, uh, her name was Janet Moses and she suffered from mental health. Her family thought that she was possessed. So they brought in a self-appointed exorcist to come in and start performing exorcisms. And suddenly it's like, well, those stories are so identical, you know? So I, you know, and then it just happened six to six months or a year ago to a a six-year-old girl in Perth. So it's like, you know, um, it's, you know, like our age bracket with, um, the character of Lara is closer to the age of Janet Moses, but like there's Mm -hmm. so many people and, and Annalise Michelle was like in her late teens. So it's, it's almost, you know, it's as bad as it is to say, it's almost scripted in like the demise of these people. It's like someone's sick, they identify her as possessed then they get someone who claims to be an exorcist to come in. They start um, brutalizing them. Then they end up being uh, brutally injured or dead. I was curious when it was like scripting, well, not really scripting, but like directing all of the violence in this movie because a lot of it, there is a lot of violence in this movie and it's all really directed at Laura. And it's, I think, one of the reasons why it's so brutal and also, unfortunately, one of the reasons why it's so effective because we see, like, you know, possession movies are always, like, a brutalization of a woman, but it's a demon. Like, there's a, we're going to feed defeat the demon, but here it's another man and also other women, like, other people just, like, doing the most unspeakable things to this person. And so what was that like directing these scenes and kind of being in, like, in this and making this and having to, like, you know, physically be a part of that and directing know, that violence. Like, what is that experience mm. like? It, it's amazing because it's, like, some of the reviews that have come out, even user reviews, someone wrote, I feel like I took part in a murder. And, um, oh. you know, like... It does, and though. It does feel like that. Like, you feel dirty after watching your movie, so thanks, yeah. I guess. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, yeah, like, do you know how guilty I feel turning around saying, hey, I hope you enjoy the film because I know you can't. <laughs> <laughs> like so it's like it's a, it's a really kind of tricky situation to, uh, you know to be in but um uh one one thing that like it's great that you bring this up is one of our producers Lauren Simpson she is the president of women in film and television and we brought her into this film to make sure that we were doing right and justice towards women as well we didn't want it to be like oh, a torture okay. porn situation where we're like beating okay. on a woman and you know kind of exploiting that except for the fact that the movie that I'm going to talk about is kind of got like a little bit of these themes too but um we we had a wellness coordinator on set as well and um oh cool you know she uh stephanie powers who was just incredible to make sure that our actors were safe so and a lot of this credit goes to georgia who plays lara she's not only is she an uh, like an incredible actor but she's uh, just her attitude on set was as soon as the cameras were on, she was on. So you're like watching, wow. my heart was sinking. And like, I have a very animated rubbery face. It's almost Jim Carrey like where it just like moves all over the place. So like she's pulling these faces and my face is contorting and like my heart's sinking. I'm like, oh no, we're torturing a woman. And then as soon as we'd yell cut, 
she'd come out and she'd be pulling stupid faces and having a laugh and like making fun of me as a director. So the mood was always quite light. So um, despite having really heavy subject matter, a, a really heavy subject matter in this film, and, you know, like we had these torture related scenes to this poor woman, the intention was always right. Like we wanted to show violence for the way violence is, but not overdo yeah. it. And, you know, that's why we we hold some punches and we cut away because I think the sound indicates enough as to what's going on. But when sure the violence does take place, which has happened to so many people, um, which I can't say for spoiler reasons, so you'll have to watch it. it, happens in the last part of the film. We didn't want to, we didn't want to shy away from that. We wanted to show like the the severe danger that people can be put into because of mm. dangerous beliefs and dangerous thinking and, and the think tank of yeah. uh, environment that people put themselves in. Yeah, that's one thing I really noticed um, and really appreciate about the film is the way that kind of the group think mentality where one person starts things and then all of a sudden everyone is is filled with righteous rage, whatever the whatever that kind of that kind of fear, that paranoia, that that anger, that, you know, that kind of fills through everybody. And I, I really enjoyed the fact that it was like a communal, I mean, enjoyed is the wrong word, but yeah. like that it was like a communal experience of, of that sort of showing that righteous anger that can come out when, when people are dusting at the, at the, at the pulpit or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. It was, uh, you know, and it's kind of like, we have like a lot of theories that are kind of going out there as well, which is again, why I love hearing uh, from people individually as well. But it's like, you know, it's a generational thing as well. Like you've got someone like Daniel James King, who has like, he's been instilled from birth and at a young age that the age that he is the, Vo that he has the voice of God in him. And that's like a very mm -hmm. old mentality thinking of like, even going back to ancient Greeks, which is part of my yeah. heritage, people weren't in love because they felt love. It was because a God of love was telling mm. them you're in love with that person. Mm. So every thought he has in that film is not his own thought. It's his, it's God's thoughts and it's God's voice that's speaking through him. So then suddenly he starts telling everybody else that he is the voice of God and they start believing that. And now suddenly the most sane person in the room is clinically insane and nobody wants to listen to her. So it's a really, really tragic tale. Yeah. It really is. Well, and this is your first feature, right? So, wow, what a way to like jump in <laughs> to making feature, feature length horror films is this one. Have you always wanted to be like, I know you have directed a lot of music videos and has kind of the transition to feature filmmaking been a goal or a dream of yours? Yeah, it's uh, I've always loved narrative and like I'll, I'll toy with little bits and pieces. I did co-direct another one, but like if I'm going to re be real, I was more like an assistant director than anything else. But, um, <laughs> yeah, but I did like more of the blocking side of things, but it's, uh, okay. I've, I've, I've always loved, um, uh, narrative and like if you watch more most of my music videos that aren't performance based I always try to put a narrative into it and I always try to keep a story kind of going so uh, you know like definitely my love um, is in narrative uh, storytelling and uh, music videos are just fun for like the visuals and experimentation and you know you kind of get it in and out and um, yeah like I definitely want to uh, keep in the realm of narrative filmmaking that's yeah. so cool. But speaking of music videos, though, I the Tones and I, how was it working with Tones and I? Because oh, you've done a number so, of, of yeah. her videos. We're basically family now. So it's like, you oh. know, we, um, we started off, that's just such a crazy, interesting story. So it's like, it starts off with, I'm directing a commercial in Australia for, we have trams. So it's like, and it's for Yarra trams. And I get a call from... Uh, a friend and she's like hey I was on a music video but um, I've done all this prosthetics makeup to make this artist look 
um, old, but I think they're going to can the video. Can I pass your details on to the manager? And I'm like, yeah, sure. So the manager calls me, uh, turns to manager uh, Jackson, and he's like, hey, we need to make a music video and we need to do it last week. It's for a small artist. She hasn't, she hasn't got any label backing or anything like that. And we're like, look, send it through. Let's see if we can make it work. She said, they send all the details through and we're like, I don't think we can do this clip. I don't think we physically have the time to do it. So Tim uh, Whiting, who's the producer and co-founder of Visible with myself, he's like, look, I'm just going to figure out a way to make this work because we've kind of delayed and we haven't replied yet. So we're just going to do it and have fun with it. And then later it becomes 2 billion views on YouTube. <laughs> so it's ridiculous. Like the most sliding doors kind of thing ever, wow. you know, where had we not have done it it doesn't like amount to us getting backing for this film so it's like it was sort of a chain reaction where people had belief to say hey these guys know how to make a video and know how to get eyeballs across it and um they're competent and since then she's repaid the faith and the love um and the loyalty so we pretty much uh she couldn't afford to make that video clip and when we did take it on we were like it looks like we're gonna have to pay for it ourselves in some capacity so we added money into it since then she just blew up to be such a mega superstar and we've just we've done i think 11 music videos together dang um you know plus uh, like i think in that is like two live ones and one was for jimmy kimmel fallon uh one of the jimmies and um <laughs> you know and um yeah it was like really awesome it was definitely jimmy kimmel it's kimmel i it came, <laughs> came to mind so yeah that's so that's cool. So cool. Yeah. So it's been it's been great. That's so cool too to like have that experience making music videos. And like you were saying, you can experiment. I feel like imagery so well, and I feel like and correct me if I'm wrong. I feel like that really helps, especially with horror films and the imagery you need to create in horror films, and giving you a lot of ways to like kind of refine how you want your feature horror films to look. Yeah, absolutely. Like I mean, stylistically, we you know we went for a really raw and gritty feel for this film, but like then oh, we yeah. have those stylized moments, like you know when the bi- uh, the Bible group are praying outside and you got that scene with the locust that was just a fluke chance by the way like those bugs came into the frame without us knowing it we're like what is happening here and then we just we rolled cameras and then um suddenly we're like this is these are locusts this is real this film's curse we found out they were termites afterwards but it doesn't matter Let, let's not get in the way of a good story right so yeah, exactly but that's an incredible moment that to add in like all right cool there's a swarm of bugs go with it guys that's crazy <laughs> But yeah, but even like, you know, uh, there's a sequence with a car, which I won't um, give away too many spoilers, mm-hmm. but like that's shot in a very kind of stylized way. And that comes from our music video days. But cool. the music videos are cool to like kind of find cheap tricks and like get the most, the maximum amount out of a shot. And um, for a, a film that's so, so, so tiny in our budget um, to the point where we don't even have a marketing spend, you know, like it was really cool to like um, use those tricks and and do a scene. Like the biggest compliment that we got was a, a very prolific producer was like, I read your script and it should have been a four to five million dollar Australian dollar uh, film and if you told me for the, the amount that you did it for and the budget you did it for I would have laughed you out of my office so it was like a wow. really cool backhanded compliment but it was an awesome compliment to get so we we're really happy with that 
Well, hopefully that leads to, like, more higher budget stuff for you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> if I can get more than a chip packet and, like, a sandwich uh, for my pay... No, no, no. It was good. Like, we, we, made sure, we made sure that everyone was paid and everyone was paid, like, the industry minimum rates um, that we could afford. But, like, a lot of these people are people that we had relationships with on music videos and commercials. So they were kind of yeah. like, oh, okay. hey, we're happy to help out because you employ us on other jobs. So we're like, yes, let's cash in every favor. So I owe everyone yep. for the rest of my life <laughs> indie wow. horror filmmaking at its finest how many mm. people can we call in favors with to do this <laughs> for money but less i understand that yeah but i mean it worked out and you made something amazing but i'm curious about how you got into horror films has horror always been something that you've been drawn to like kind of how did your relationship with the horror genre start so it starts off with the fact that i'm an accident child so it's like okay, I'm the cool. third I'm the third in my family, but there's like sixteen years difference between me and the mm. other guys. So uh, it's like okay. they're not really big in horrors, but occasionally they would hire VHSs or buy VHS tapes and you know, which is like a dead like format, which I don't even know how many users would know what that is, but it's a cassette tape. I, I and- have a bunch in my room so <laughs> yeah i know they're like they're becoming like the new they're records back. right like they ca- they're coming back they are i think horror fans more than anyone else know vhs totally right like it's <laughs> and and nothing had cooler covers than horror films you know it's like i Absolutely. remember fright night had like a coffin as like a, a tape and like i worked at a video store so it's like that was the most problematic tape to file away because it was like in the shape of a coffin so it was like <laughs> yeah. you couldn't even put it anywhere but um i like being the accent child they would leave tapes around and i was oh. not like the most behaved kid so i'd take those tapes and chuck them in a vhs and watch them and the first one to get me was um evil dead that made me physically okay. ill when I was a kid. I think I was like, oh. I was seven. Before that, it was The Exorcist. And that was, I was six when I watched that. And that oh boy. freaked Holy me cow. out. But even then, I was kind of able to remove myself a little bit from that. Because it felt like everyone was okay at the end. With the exception of, you know, the priest. Like that one, that one freaked me out. But I'm like, okay, we can cure the devil. But Evil Dead really <laughs> scarred me. Because it was just like... Um, hey, scarred for life, right? Like, what a plug! And um, <laughs> so it really, uh, it really scarred me because, like, all that stop motion animation, but like watching limbs getting chopped up, watching people decompose and like melt and like break down and all that. Yeah, Evil Dead was the one that really screwed me up, and I actually felt sick. Like, I wanted to throw up. I remember pacing after seeing that film, and now it's like one of my favorite films. <laughs> so, but that was the one that got me into horror. But I think. Between that, those two and the first Terminator, which I consider a horror as much as yeah, it is an action It's 100% a, a slasher. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, I think, like, I just absolutely loved the art behind it because I come from, like, an illustration graphic design background. And mm. uh, the art behind it and, like, the makeup and the all the prosthetics and all that kind of stuff, it really got me thinking about how this this stuff is done. So then I started looking up things and that's where my first passion for Fangoria came into play because then they would have the interviews with like, you know, prosthetics makeup artists and you got your Tom Savini's and all that kind of stuff. So it's just like, yeah, that's where the evolution starts and then my mind got into worse and worse things from there. (laughs) So you find tapes like just hanging around the house, you watch them on a lark, were you a scaredy cat growing up or did did you uh did you handle them okay? 
I'm a scared adult. I don't think okay. I, I'm afraid of. I'm afraid of everything. I'm arachnophobic. I'm afraid of flying. I'm afraid of like you know the unknown. It's. Uh, I, I think I'm still afraid of everything, and I think what like and this is where it's funny but also kind of serious but i think therapy would be much cheaper for me to go through than making films because i think i do it as making films is like my form of therapy so like i do this now so then that way i can just kind of say hey you know at the end of the day after all the violence that uh, all these characters have endured everyone's okay you know it's like a point of afterlife that's my way of thinking because like everything's okay we still live on but um i think that's where i kind of curb that fear and then like watching other people being afraid around me made me not feel alone so it's like yeah. wow like this this is a therapy session thank you so much like <laughs> <laughs> so have so you still get do you still get scared of horror movies now like when you watch them as an adult yeah yeah i i think now yeah. the the older i get like, so I used to love gore and violence. And then I go and jump in to watch two films, which is like, I, I'm watching um, Late Night with the Devil, which is by the Kentons Brothers. And it's so amazing. And I don't know if you've seen it, but um, Not an yet, incredible no. film. And like, there's a sequence in there that has like a really horrific body horror type thing. And I'm just like, oh, uh, like, and I'm kind of feeling it at the same time. And then I, I watched Talk to Me and again from like other Aussie mm. filmmakers, which... We, we don't have to say how awesome that film is. It's just... But it is real fucking good, y'all, when it comes oh, out. It is good. If, if, if this July 28th, you guys need to also talk to me in theaters. Anyway, plug yeah, for talk and, to and, me. <laughs> and for Australia 27th, do it. It's the, like, those, between that and Late Night with the Devil, those two are like such incredible films. Um, but yeah, like, I was watching that and I'm kind of cringing. So the more I'm seeing violence now, the more I'm kind of feeling it. I don't know if it's the yeah, fact that I'm getting okay. older and like if a, to a toaster pops and I pull my neck quickly, I feel the pain, you know? So it's like uh, now, like I'm feeling everything triple time. So yeah, it's, it's weird. Yeah. Wow. Interesting. I yeah. love to hear that. Cause I feel like so many people are like, oh yeah, I'm desensitized. But I like, you're like, no, I'm actually <laughs> more, a little bit more afraid as I've gotten older. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I'm getting worse. So it's like, um, yeah, eventually I'll probably have to stop making films and uh, check myself in somewhere. Well, well, we'll cross that bridge when we get to it. Yeah, you know yeah, what yeah. I mean? That's, that's like, our okay. producer's problem. You know, like Tim <laughs> and Lauren and Tony, they can deal with that. So. so I have to ask, though, because you said you're arachnophobe. I have huge arachnophobia. I have to ask. I always, whenever I hear about Australia and the spiders, I get paranoid. What is it like being there if you are an arachnophobe? It's the worst. It's so like, so like the one spider that doesn't really harm you with poison is the ugliest looking it's the spider. Big, it's like the, it the huntsman. Isn't the big one, the huntsman? Yeah, the yeah, one that is yeah. like scarily huge but like definitely aren't mean but they still look terrifying yeah they're they're the worst and like i read a statistic that they're actually the biggest killers in australia not because of their bite but because people panic when they see them on the road <laughs> and they crash i know it's like really brutal so it's like um yeah i've i've had it the worst like uh, they despite me not liking them i don't want to be friends with them I then will try and catch them to kind of let them outside because I don't want to kill them either. Um, but like, I have You're to like take, I have to like get them in like a Tupperware container and then throw the <laughs> container on the side of the street and then come back a day later to pick up so I'm not littering as well. Why, but, um, is, why is there so much Tupperware outside of Nick's house? It's just the spiders. It's just the spiders. So, um, just the spiders. But yeah, I've had them crawl all over me and I have 
been uh, bitten at a warehouse when I was doing my warehouse work by a spider because, like, I, I accidentally put a little bit of pressure on it. It was underneath a box, and I put the box underneath my arm, and I was like, I was like, is that tape, sticky tape that's, like, pulling on my hairs because I'm European? And then I look, and it was sort of hanging because it was being crushed by the box, and it was trying to bite its way through, and I panicked, and, um, yeah, not a fan. And, like, because of arachnophobia, the film, every oh, no. shoe... <laughs> Every shoe that I have, I will throw on the ground outside before I put them on. Because if I put my feet in, I think that I'm going to be bitten. So I should just never wear... I should only wear sandals from now on, basically, yeah. is where it's at. <laughs> so, Terry's <sorry>. very similar. <laughs> yes. So we had just <laughs> talked with, with Chrissy Fox, filmmaker, about arachnophobia. And that is my Scarred for Life moment because I... It didn't give me arachnophobia, but it made me very fearful of anywhere they could be. It made me realize they could be literally anywhere. In your shoes, in a lamp, in a box of food. Like, they could be anywhere. So, yeah. I can relate. <laughs> yeah, it's not it's not fun. But, um, speaking of which, I, like, I want to give a uh, plug to your podcast as well, because it's awesome. Like, some of the movies that are on there are such deep cuts. Everyone needs to go and watch it. Like, I was like, yeah, you were like, hey, let's talk about a film that you, you know, that you want to do, and let's see if there's a new one that hasn't been done for, before. I'm like, cool. Nobody's seen Amityville Horror 2. It's about time. It's on there. And then I'm like, okay, well, I can't talk about that, you know, which is that melting scene which is one of the craziest things that I've ever seen in my life. And then yes. um, we're to the point where it's like I never wanted to go on a date with someone because I felt like I would melt into a drain. Um, and then um, the other one was Martyrs, which is like one of my all-time favorite films, but that was going to be on there. Um, but yeah, like there were so many deep cut films in there. I'm really impressed with how far... It is. It's yeah. actually it's surprising. shocked us, to be honest, yeah. about how many movies because we're always like, we've only had to do repeats like one or two times because we're like... People really have a wide range of things that have fucked them up and things that aren't scary. It's been cool. It is really cool to see what has scared and like what people have picked. Yeah. We no, so honestly did not believe that we'd get to like I, I we're getting close on two hundred episodes and I'm like, That's there's so really two hundred movies that scarred people for life. Like it's it's wild to me that we have been able to continue on. But yeah, that's just wild. When you pick up some scratches, cause you want a fun break, the playful way you scratch is the next choice you should make. You can make your dog's leg kick and scratch with that. You could even grab a laser pointer and use your cap. You can build yourself a homemade scratching machine. Or use a piece from your chest set. Go ahead, grab the queen. Scratch like a DJ with your record player. A cactus could scratch off that scratchable layer. Cause when it comes to scratching, there's a million playful ways. Thanks to scratchers from the California lottery, a little play can make your day. Please play responsibly. Must be 18 years or older to purchase, play, or claim. Actually, it's a perfect transition to let's talk about the movie yes. you brought, Nick, that scarred you for life. Nick, what yeah. movie are we talking about with you today? We're going to be talking about Audition, Takashi Miike's <laughs> masterpiece, um, and and one of, and it's, uh, wow, what a film. And um, yeah, like this still... You, we all know that the sound is going to stay in our heads for the rest of our lives. And we'll get to that at some point. But um, we that, will. That, one, that one killed me. So, listeners, let me read you a super brief synopsis for Audition. In Audition, a young, a, a, not a young widower. A widower takes an <laughs> offer to screen girls at a special audition arranged for him by a friend to help him find a new wife. The one he fancies, though, is not who she appears to be after all. Yes. So take us back. How old were you when you saw this movie? How did you see it? And why is this your Scarred for Life pick? So 
this this film comes in two parts. So it's like I saw it when I was really young. Like, I was in my late teens, so it's like you know probably getting okay. closer to adult. But uh, like I was, it was like on a late night. It, we have a channel called SBS, and it's um kind of like it has a lot of foreign cinema, and. Although the film is about a fever dream type thing, there's a lot of fever dream elements in it. I was actually, I had the flu and I thought I was having a fever dream. So it was like inception levels of fever oh, dream no. in this. So oh. I'm, I chuck on this film because I couldn't sleep and I'm watching it. And it starts off, you know, with a man who is really kind of, you know, depressed. He's mourning the loss of his wife. And you start to fall in love with him as a character and you're like, I feel sorry for him. And then he does this like weird 180 where he wants, like his friend is like, hey, we should kind of exploit innocent women and like put them through an audition process and um, you'll find a new person to remarry and fall in love with. And I'm like, okay, this is kind of weird, but like <laughs> I, I can understand that this could maybe be an unconventional type of romance. Let's let's see where this goes. I, I'm sort of in and out of it, and then this film takes a turn for the worst. Where if we talk about like Godless that has like you feel like you're taking part in a murder, this film feels like you're taking part of a tor- like you're being part of a torture and that you're not only being a part of it but you're also experiencing it at the same time. So um yeah, that's uh that was I, I was really young and then I saw it and it re- I really couldn't shake it but I didn't know what it was called. And then mm. Hostel comes out many years later and Takashi Miike has a uh, cameo in it. I'm like, who's that guy? And I I, I researched Wait, does it. Does he really? Who yeah, yeah, yeah. So he comes out oh, of like the so uh, you know you've got Paxton who goes into the warehouse and he's just like, what's it like in there? And the guy's like, be careful, you'll spend all your money in there. And then um, that's that's yep. him. So I'm like, who? That, that guy oh. has to be a cameo. So then I'm like, I've researched that and I'm like, oh, okay, he's made like a whole bunch of horrors and this audition film is like um, a big thing. And I put it in and I'm like, oh no, it's that film. <laughs> oh no. And you know, it's it's the train wreck. You watch it and you're like, I shouldn't be watching this, but you just get so sucked in. And then I'm like, you know, because it's such a slow burn film. It's, it's close yeah. to two hours. I'm like, maybe I just remembered it wrong and it's like this isn't that bad and then it's just like no no it really is that bad in the last 30 minutes you just you just want to check out of life after watching that it's just like i want to go hide in a black hole yeah 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 i mean that's a (laughs) i can't say it any better than that that is that is how this movie feels towards the end i i remember seeing it um, I remember hearing about it all the time and seeing the cover, the American cover at least, which is the the woman holding like a needle and kind of turning towards the yeah. the camera kind of thing. And I remember seeing this and hearing this is most fucked up movie ever. And I remember sitting down to watch it the first time. It was probably only like five or six years ago, to be perfectly honest. And I'm I'm watching it and I'm going, this is like a romantic drama. What I mean, this is it's a little weird. Like the 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 kind of conceit, but it's sort of like you would see that conceit almost in like an American romantic comedy of like, oh, we're going to try to do this. And oh, by the way, we're falling in love. And oh, this is great. And I'm like, why is this movie considered like the most <laughs> fucked up movie? And you're right. Like, sorry to interrupt, but it's like there's that whole no, sequence please. where they're auditioning people and they're laughing at them. They're like doing crazy weird things like they're doing like flamenco dancing. And then it's like all hypercut and the music's really lighthearted as well. So it's just like. You're right. It does feel like a romantic 
romantic comedy where it's like they're gonna find the one you know kind of thing but yeah yeah, goals, yeah. and it's it's gonna be one of those things where it's like oh that's gonna be the breakup moment there was no movie and then you know that becomes like the fall apart and they get back together like that's the way it, it plays out and i'm like how is this a horror movie and then you see like that bag in the background and the moment that bag rolls for the first time in her apartment i was like what yeah. <laughs> what is happening one of the and best just... jump scares i've ever seen by the way like Absolutely. that bag rolling i'm like what happened <laughs> yeah and then it just gets progressively worse until we get the the infamous line of kitty 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 it's just it's gnarly when did you first see it mary beth sorry my cat has joined me on my lap so that's what's happening here right now um so okay i i've talked about this i've talked about this class in college many times because this is where in college i saw um, high tension and go back. And, hor- and in college, I took a horror movie class and my teacher was really into international horror. And so I saw Mark, I didn't see Martyrs. I saw high tension and inside in this class. And I also saw audition. Um, this is one of the films that was part of our curriculum that he wanted to show us. And so I was really excited because I had heard of it before when I was younger, but I had never like had the guts to watch it because I heard how fucked up it was. And like the woman with the needle, I was like, and I hate need, and I hate needles. So I was just like, I don't ever want to experience that. And I also wasn't as familiar with Japanese horror. And so this isn't, this is one of the movies that actually got me really into Japanese horror. I've always liked J-horror, but this one was one that like opened up my eyes to like what it can be and how it's not just ghost. I was a lot, I was more familiar with like the ghost story kind of Mm J-horror that a lot of us are used to. And this one, I mean, I was watching it in class and my professor was like, don't let this movie fool you. Like, don't just 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 trust me okay and i was like okay and again it's like this weird ass dramedy and like where you feel bad for this older widow with his son and like they live this life where his son is like you can date again like please dad like you're kind of a bummer and then (laughs) like it becomes this very like misogynistic but like very 90s comedy vibe of like let's audition some hot chicks for you to like find a wife like it's it's so again playing with these tropes of what we expect from a romance movie especially in the states of like what i like what we expect in like a romance Mm -hmm. comedy and it's playing with that and like this whole time you're kind of like there's something creepy here about him like auditioning her without her knowing to be his girl like there's just something there's like that creepy vibe and um, the woman who plays, her name is fuck, Asami. Asami is uh, yeah. our woman who is played incredibly by Ihi Ishina, who is like a method actor in Japan. Like this woman oh, really? ate I her own vomit for this movie. Like she pukes and ate it. Yeah. Yeah. It's so brutal. That, that scene like she's is. In, yeah. Yeah. It's nuts. But then like this <laughs> movie, I think is so. It's also like one of Mike's most restrained movies, which is truly saying something. Because, <laughs> listeners, if you're not familiar with Takashi Mike, this man is a prolific filmmaker and he loves violence. So I mean, like, Ichi the Killer, Visitor Q, weird ass shit. And this is just as weird, but it's much, I think, this one is more palatable in a way because the violence at the end and like i'm not that sounds so weird to call this movie palatable because it is like very intense <laughs> but like compared to what other things he's made like nick are you familiar with mike's work like have you watched a lot of his yeah, other yeah, movies yeah. and, and okay. none of them are like this it's wild yeah. it's so wild like the kinds of his filmmaking like 
style. And he's also made a lot of anime adaptations, but that's neither neither here nor there. I just think it's wild, like, what this man is making. He's make, He makes, like, five movies a year. Like, he is a very prolific filmmaker. Yeah. He's like, he's on to be is like a hundred plus at least, you know, yes, it's like he's directing over 100 things, like, movies, which is yeah. nuts. But I, I want to give a shout out to your lecturer, like that three cool movies that he uh, introduced you to cool or like disturbing, but like high tension, uh, you know, inside, which was another one that I was going to suggest uh, bringing to this one. But I think that's already been done, right? Um, on Mm-mm. one of your, oh, no, someone's, someone's actually, doing that. We did yeah. a, a special episode, like, on our Patreon about it, but no one's oh, brought it right. to talk about. Oh, okay, yeah. Like, and and then, obviously, audition. But, um, yeah, definitely that, uh, like, everything that you've just said, it's just, like, that vomit scene is where the film takes a different turn, you know? And then that's where I was just, like, eating your own vomit um, and then feeding it to that, like, sack man, you know, like, which is just... Oh, yeah. Brutal. <laughs> so brutal. Well, and it's just, like, one of these movies that isn't afraid to, like... And again, it's because it's Mike of, like... But I hadn't seen anything like that that was, like, super taboo pushing as much mm-hmm. as, like... I... Like, again, it was really... It was early in my, like, going into the fucked up realm of horror career. Because I am yeah. love extreme horror. I love fucked up horror. But, again, that class was what got me into it and showing me because this that professor also showed me uh, showed us Tetsuo the Iron Man which is another really incredible Japanese mm-hmm. cyberpunk movie yeah. so he was like you're gonna just watch all of the weirdest shit from these countries and either you're gonna love it or you're gonna hate it and I came out a new person and now my impersonality is the most fucked up shit you can find so <laughs> Hey, um, what but, you know? Do? What what you've said is exactly that. I think you know, growing up with horror and like some of the movies that I reference, which is like Evil Dead and all that. Like the deaths are kind of quick and they happen so abrupt, and there's that shock value where it's just like, oh wow, that came out of nowhere. And then like a lot of the violence was kind of almost actiony. This is the first time where I'm where I'm sat down and I'm watching a live, slow, dragged out torture process. But not just that. It's the sound design that's haunting. Yeah. I actually... And, and the way that they frame the camera... So, like, when um, As- Asami is, like, on top of Ayoyama, which is the, the guy, and it's almost eye level and, like, almost point of view, and she's puncturing his eyes, and yes. she's doing the... And, like, it felt like it was happening to me. And I'm hearing these piercing sounds, and it's almost the sound that you'd hear in your own brain, like, if you were, like, kind of going through it. So it's, um, yeah, it really kind of disturbed me on that front, where I was just like, oh, no, this is happening to me. And I'll never forget the moment where she's punctured his torso, and then she jumps and sits on top of him and grinds across all those pins. It was like, oh, no. And that, and I thought that was the worst. And then it gets worse. And then it gets worse. <laughs> so it really does, though. Like, and I mean, like, I also, but I. So when I first watched this as a young college student, I was like, I was like, Asami sucks. And now I'm like, Asami rules. I mean, again, I know she's a bad person. I would never do this to a man. But like, <laughs> I kind of love her and like what she represents for like feminine rage. And again, I love a good feminine range rage movie because I mean, like, I think something that is kind of overlooked a lot talking about this is Asami was assaulted as a child, like by her dance teacher. And she mm-hmm. has like her whole life kind of been defined by how men have treated her. And, and now mm-hmm. she's like, 
I, and now she's like, all right, cool. Well, I'm going to just say, I, I'm going to show you what happens when you fuck with me. Like, this is what happens when you and like enable my rage and what happens when you do these kinds of things to me. Because, I mean, we see those those hints at first with the guy in the bag. And then Ayoyama meets her dance teacher who doesn't have any feet anymore. And it's like all of these really weird things happening. And then you realize that like Asami is just like trying to reclaim some semblance of agency over herself. And like, I think I, I love that in this movie and how it is like this kind of smart, subtle, then very obvious like movie about her. Yeah. She's a bad person on like the surface, but there's a lot more going on with her. That's much more complicated than just like her wanting to kill boys, but her trying to like take revenge for men who have taken advantage of her, her entire life. Yeah. It's, yeah. Well, like, sorry to cut you off, but that's exactly oh, it. No. Like, how this film has become so much more relevant as well because it's like, you know, she yeah. is like, firstly, she's like disciplined and like, you know, tortured and physically, mentally, sexually abused, right? And then mm-hmm. she like, it's almost like they're paying for their sins at a later point. So it's like you you start off with a man that's doing that in her life, her stepfather, and all that kind of stuff and a dance teacher and all that. And then she's then putting that back on them later on. And then, you know, this is like the ultimate catfish revenge in a way where it's like, they're pretending to make a film and they're trying to exploit these women. But then the worst thing about that is, is that she does it right back to them. She just does it in a worse degree. So you're kind of paying for your sins in a way. Mm -hmm. So it's like, I don't know if it was intentional or unintentional, but it's brilliant in that way where she's like, you know, they're all kind of bad in their own right, you know, but like they're paying the price essentially for like trying to like manipulate her. And then when they deceive her, she deceives them in a worse way. So it's like tip and tap. <laughs> yeah. And so I won't say that I know anything about Japanese culture um, other than what I, I gleaned from, from movies and whatnot. But one of the things that really struck me on this watch was the, was the opening like dialogue between um, Ayomi and his, his uh, producer friend at the bar where they're talking and there's, He's like, they're lonely. They're talking about loneliness in Japan. And then there's like a gaggle of, of girls in the background that are la- laughing and having a good time. And the one, the producer kind of turns to him and says, awful girls, common, full of themselves, stupid, all of them. Where are the nice ones? And they, he says that Japan is over. And so it's like this idea of like this traditional view of what they want in a woman. Yeah. And then when we first start to see... Um, Asami, we see her like sitting by the phone, almost like in a robotic pose. There's that moment where she has been waiting so long for him to call her that she's like all of a sudden hunched over and she looks like she could be dead or like a robot that just hasn't been turned on yet. And so we have like all this imagery kind of portraying, look, this is what you think of as like the traditional girl. She's quiet. She's waiting by the phone for you. She's meek and obedient, but she has like art artistry and all this kind of stuff. And then we take that and it slowly starts to like churn into something even more horrific for them. And I, I just, I think it's really, I think the script is a lot smarter than I gave it credit for on my first watch, like a few years ago. Yeah, I, I totally agree with that. And again, like, people just have assumptions about this movie because it's always hyped up as, like, the most fucked up movie you'll ever see. And, like, I mean, I get it. It is pretty fucked up, especially by, like, American <laughs> standards for, like, what we see in movies and everything. And I'm so, I'm like, it's not that bad. But, it, yeah, it is pretty fucked up. <laughs> the whole thing. And, like, I think 
when you watch it again and like you pay attention to what's going on in the background of everything and you if you kind of know what Asami's arc is and then you're watching it again like mm-hmm. you're like wait oh it's telegraphed so well but it's so subtle and it almost is like that J like the kind of we're used to seeing the J horror with the female ghosts like getting revenge from the grave but here she's still alive and she's like fulfilling that similar role but instead it's a little bit more nuanced and Interesting. And I think Mike is doing a lot of really cool stuff, playing with expectations in a lot of genres, which is something he's so good at doing. And why it's so wild to look at his filmography and see all of the different kinds of movies that he's made and like what that has looked like. Like that to me is always so funny because he also makes some really silly stuff. So it's so interesting to see like the kinds of things that go on inside of this man's brain. That's nuts. Yeah. But, um, I, like, it, I mean, there's been so many spoilers up until this point, so here's another one. But it's like, again, the, oh, yeah, the other thing... yeah, we're spoiler cast. We're not worried about yeah. spoilers here. <laughs> perfect, perfect. But it's like, it's the, the foot saw. Like, the way that oh. that scene happens and just the brilliance behind all of that. So it's just like, firstly, again, the sound design where you feel like it's in your brain and you're hearing your own bone being kind of cut through. But, like... The way then she pulls the the wire out and it's all coiled up because it's been worn out from like getting through the bone. But then she mm-hmm. just playfully tosses the the foot aside and it's like as if the it was splat. nothing. It's, it's just splat against the the sliding door and everything. It's like, like it's. I was like grinding my teeth during that, and I was just like doing these weird like jerks in the couch, you know, where I'm just like, <laughs> I don't want to be, I don't want to be here anymore. <laughs> I mean, I swear to God, Ari Aster has to thank Takashi Miike for this scene in Hereditary. I will. Ju- I, I don't know if that's mm. true, but to me, I'm just like, Takashi Miike's uh. audition foot-cutting scene is why Hereditary's Tony Collette decapitates herself with the piano wire. <laughs> like, that is the pipeline I've decided. <laughs> yeah. But, like, the, yeah. se- the, the sound effects, and, like, not even just because of that, but, like, the sound effects, which, again, Nick, you talked about, like, the sound design in this movie and how you hear just the sound of flesh and bone being sawed through, and the way that like it's not turned away from and we just hear the like I, mean, I can't even make the sound yeah. that like it's the sound <laughs> of bone being like ugh, it's just so gross and again like it's such a simple weapon and tool but it's so fucked up but I love the use of just piano wire and little needles like these weird little almost dainty things being used for so much like destruction it's just like kind of poetic in a fucked up sort of way <laughs> Yeah, no, it's just that, and 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 that's why we're talking about this film because I, I'll like there's so many films that I can forget, but this is tattooed into my brain. Like, uh, you know, there is just something the sound, the the like again the kitty kitty kitty. Uh, like, I'll never forget that. That's like in my ho- horror nightmares, even to the point where I rewatched this for the sake of us having this conversation, and I dreamt about it last night. So, oh, like, no. you know, Oh, my God. So, like, the, the, the sound was coming into my head, and I'm like, uh, I, I'm going to uh, I'm gonna stop and put something lighthearted. So I started watching um, uh, that Tim Robinson show on Netflix, um, I Think You Should Leave, so that I could cheer myself <laughs> up, because I was, I was really kind of freaking out about it. So, um, oh, my God. I mean, I get it. Absolutely. 
But I, I can't imagine because you said that when you were watching this, you were having flu symptoms and, and sort of in and out of a fever dream. <laughs> I can't imagine this last bit in a fever dream because this last bit is a fever dream. The way that it uses like flashbacks and, and nightmares and and just a whole bunch of things that you're like, is this really happening or when did this happen or how is this happening We're involving the, the man in the bag like coming out and we realize that – his feet have been cut off and his tongue's cut off and he's missing all but like his middle finger and thumb, I think. And, and there's like his tongue is ripped out and he's yeah. lapping up this vomit bowl. And we're moving from that to like different <laughs> color palettes of like blues and just it's it's so I can't imagine what it would be like watching no, that. It was, suffering again, in a fever dream. It's exactly that because like you're thinking like if all that stuff's happening and then it cuts to him back in the hotel room where they first had yeah. their mo- most romantic night. And suddenly you're like, oh. The reprieve. It's like, it was just a nightmare. It was just and then a nightmare. Like, no, it's not. Like, that emotional manipulation, I my mind didn't know what was going on. I'm like, what is happening? Well, and that was also, like, my experience watching it of, like, this is the first time I've really, I feel like I've, ex- from, at least the first time I can remember having, like, a movie really fuck with me so much and fuck with my head so much. Like, that, to me, was this experience of, like, having my head fucked with in a way that I have never experienced before. And I think that's what's so special about this movie because i think if you're a horror fan who's not used to that and like you're kind of used you know like how to what to expect from american horror and kind of the subgenres that we have and then you watch this and you're like i don't know what's going on where i am <laughs> like i don't the rules the, the rules don't exist anymore the rules that you think like govern a horror movie that don't actually you're like oh my god everything's out the fucking window like this is yeah we're not safe nothing safe exactly nothing safe and i think like that to me is such an, a wild thing that horror can create in terms of that feeling of like safety being taken away. And I love, I love that. And I love what it can do. And it sounds like Nick, this movie got you into extreme horror. It sounds like you like a lot of the new French extremity stuff, or at least did, right? Is that correct? Yeah, no, I, I, I love like it, it, it. Like I love all horror. Like it doesn't matter, you know, you know, B grade, A grade, whatever it is. But I did yeah. get from this. It then got me into like you know appreciating a slow burn as well and like kind of going on that mm-hmm. roller coaster into hell so um that's that's that was really important to me and you know whilst i love things that are so high octane like evil dead rise and the evil dead remake and all that kind of stuff this this is just it cuts differently and it's like you know you can't have <laughs> chocolate milkshake all the time sometimes you want to branch out into strawberry sometimes you want to branch out into something else a caramel and and this is like that different type of flavor and i appreciated it so much but um yeah it was um it definitely opened up my palate to like then understand foreign cinema as like you know like an untapped resource because prior to that i was only watching american uh horror films and they're awesome and then there's like a whole other section of the world that has their own horrific stories to tell and they're like told through a different lens well and you also come from australia that has a bunch of fucked up horror too like y'all have your own kind of (laughs) national horror cinema at least like in my head like the subsection of some of the australian horror movies out there it's like oh my god are y'all okay (laughs) yeah yeah people people are asking us what's in our water and it's like i i can't tell you it's just like maybe (laughs) maybe we're just um maybe we're just evolving into something worse but uh no it's uh, like it's it's a really exciting time for like australian horror filmmakers right now because there have been like some awesome ones that have come out even just like traveling the world with some of them and doing like we had monolith and that's like not a like it's it's a horror and it's a science fiction but it was also kind of terrifying at times as well like we're telling horrors differently as well that's the podcast yes yeah yeah yeah, yeah. 
Yeah, that one was really good. What? I saw that at a festival and was really impressed I by it. Because it's, it was either the South main... By or Overlook. Yes, I think I saw it at South By. Yeah. Because the main woman is also the main one of the main women in Evil Dead Rise. Which is really yeah, cool. yeah, and there's two like leads oh. in that that are Australian as well. So we're sort of uh, jumping into the horror world from like behind the lens and in front of the lens, which is really exciting. I love it. So um, yeah, I, I don't know what's happening to Australians, but I'm here for it because it's exactly where I am. <laughs> I was I was curious because um, well, I have a lot of there's like a couple things I want to talk about in terms of audition, but I, I am curious because we're talking about Australia. Has Australia always had like a horror scene, or is it more relatively new? I think I think it has been there. I think now that the world's opening up and we've got like a lot more streaming platforms and places to mm-hmm. use our voice, it's sort of becoming a little bit more kind of apparent. But uh, like even back in the day, we had like exploitation of the seventies, where like there was oh, a true. lot mm-hmm. of like violent horrifying films and even you know then you go to like was it road games road games which was like quite big and um that was like set in australia and then um i just think that now we're like kind of we're we're in a position to be able to put our stuff out there for the world to see and i think it's becoming more apparent but like we've got amazing storytellers and you know some of the few that i mentioned which is like the cans brothers um you've got the uh the philippus would talk to me and you've got um matt vesley with a monolith like we're all starting to like kind of get a little bit of recognition i think it's really cool to see that the world's sort of accepting it and and enjoying it as well and um oh yeah yeah now we can start showing our um fucked up nature to the rest of <laughs> to everybody else so <laughs> i love that so the thing that um i think really kind of surprised me rewatching audition uh today was um i i think because we've we've sort of talked about how uh, the ending is so is so fucked up, but it uses sound design. And I think when I think about the the foot cutting scene, what I love is that it doesn't show a whole lot. It gives you some really graphic moments, but then it lets your mind sort of fill in the rest with the sound. But I was thinking as I was watching this that the the whole way this movie is structured is so smart because it starts off so innocuous that you're like it kind of disarms you to the point where you're thinking, I am not watching a horror movie. And then by the time we get to the parts where we see the bag move and we see the nightmare scenarios and we see all that kind of stuff, because the low is so low, the high is so high because we don't, we're not used to seeing anything horror in this movie because for most of it, it is like a romantic dramedy. And so I, I think that that way that that sort of slow build, it makes the end feel even more gargantuan than it actually is. And that's, I think that's really cool the way the yeah. film can do that. Yeah. That's why I think it's like, uh, you can't just tell someone to be like, Hey, just watch the last 30 minutes. Cause that's where all the yeah. craziness happens. Mm-hmm. You have to go on that full ride to kind of, you know, feel the emotional pull and also like understand Asami's journey and, uh, Ayama's mm-hmm. journey, you know, like it's, I think you really need to go through that, um, you know, that, that train ride till it descends into madness. And then, um, yeah, cause like the first time I think you see the violence is you see the oddness in like, obviously the sack rolling over and her smirk, mm-hmm. but the for violence with like the tongue and like, you know, the guy's feet that aren't really his feet and all that kind of stuff. Like we're not, I'm not doing it any justice. Just go watch it. <laughs> it's just like, I've said well, so many weird horrific thing. things. <laughs> it's like so hard to describe it. Cause it's like the vibes are so rancid which is a good thing like the vibes and the aesthetics of this movie are just so unnerving that like just describing it does not do enough justice to like what it feels like watching this movie and kind of like 
what Mike creates with this movie in terms of like the visuals and what's going and like the way you're like, asking questions about who is she? Like, who is Asami really? Like, what is going on here? It's like not something you can describe and like put into words. Like, it really is a movie that you have to experience for yourself to really understand like just how bizarre of a mind fuck that audition really is. Like, yeah. It, yeah. Yeah, and it and like you know again back to like the whole scarred for life and it triggering me like the sound design in this film is what inspired us with our film as well. So it's like a lot oh, wow. of oh, really? a lot of the touching and all that. Yeah. Like it was an important point when I was talking to um uh you know the guys um like Benny who um uh like did the sound design on our film. I was just like every time she's touched, I want to feel it like as if we can hear it in our brain. And that was because mm. of this film. So it's just like, you know, every time like they're pushing down on her chest and you can hear the bones kind of like on good speakers, maybe on a laptop, you might not be able to hear it. But like every time you you hear her or feel her getting touched, I wanted that to be amplified. And that, that was all inspired by this film as well. Wow. Cool. Wow. Not trying to plug myself, but like that's a, no, you know, like, you know, no, do, yeah. but like I love hearing yeah. how the things that shaped us as kids and as young people like go on to affect our like professional work, though, and like how it's it has left such a mark on your subconscious and your brain that like it is influencing how you made your movie, and I think that is so cool, like how that evolution, how these things really do stay with us; they don't just go yeah. away. Even if we watch a million horror movies, you're always going to have those movies that stick with you and like influence a lot of the things you do. And I love that. Yeah. Yeah, me too. The The other thing that jumped out at me on this watch is the cinematography from um, Hideo Yamamoto. Because mm-hmm. what I loved knowing how the movie was going to end this time is being able to like see how the the movie frames everything that's happening. And one of the things yeah. that jumped out at me is the is that I forgot that this movie starts first of all with the death of of his wife and we see his mm. kid coming in with the diorama as his, as his his mother is dying and as his wife is dying. And then we cut 2 years later and the kids, you know, grown up. But there's the picture of his of his wife that sits on the desk and I just love that the camera keeps lingering on that picture to the point when he's looking through all the um the the resumes the audition resumes he's he turns the the image away from him and then there's like a shot also where the image is turned towards the camera and the camera's focused on him and it's blurred out but that image is still there in the yeah. foreground showing that she is still hanging on there and I'll be honest when I got to the end of the movie and I saw we get the kind of killer POV of Asami moving through the house right before he comes home and it goes into the office and it sees that picture. And I was like, oh, no, that picture is going to ca- is going to cause the problem. And but it's not just that it's any kind of love because he also she also brings up the kid that, oh, you love yes. your kid. You're not supposed to do that. You need to love me. But like, I love that the camera focuses on that as sort of like a, a trick out that, oh, she's going to see that and flip out. But it's actually everything that she's flipping out about. Yeah. 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 No, you're right. And and going back to that point as well, like I, that's part of like the directing and the cinematography and the sound design. It's that manipulation, right? Like it's mm-hmm. he, he like it starts off like even the cinematography feels way more melodramatic at the start. Mm. Like it feels like a soap almost at that point. Yeah. And yeah. then it then goes into almost like a comedy with all the jump cuts and like the, the match cutting and, you know, and then like all the flash kind of overlay type of thing of just how hectic it is. And then you're just held lingering um, towards the end. Then it goes into the fever dream where you have like all the intricate lighting where it's like, you've got mm-hmm. the reds and like, even when the, the tongue is cut off in the bar and like, that's just like, 
that's straight out of a horror movie. Yeah. Um, and then almost like the Italian horrors, like that, you know, Argento was yeah. like doing. That's how colorful that is. And then you go into the torture scene and it's like, oh, great. We're in this room right now. It's so, so raw and real. It almost just, yeah, it, it, it like it evolves. And that's just part of the brilliance of this film. The other thing I think is so fascinating about Asami's character, and we've, we've talked a little bit about this, but is the fact that they he is looking for this kind of perfect for him girl of mm-hmm. like being meek and obedient. And so what does she do? She gives him that. And so she's like, here, this is what you want. I'm going to, I'm going to fulfill your fantasies and I'm going to fulfill that kind of aspect. But the moment that she's like, you got to love only me. And there's that moment where like, she, he, she made a promise to him. I'm going to do this for you. And he breaks that promise in her, in her warped mind. I just think it's so fascinating the way that, that the movie kind of presents her as that sort of, perfect and i'm using this in quotations listeners woman for this man and in in fact he doesn't live up to her expectations yeah i just yeah it's so fascinating that's uh, that's what we were saying earlier it's like it's the be careful what you wish for kind of thing it's like Mm -hmm. he wanted that you know very um conservative you know obedient type woman that like it was only just assets that he wanted he like had to be like arty or a dancer or something like that and wasn't really focusing on what was most important there. So it was just, uh, you know, like finding a person for, for who they are and all that. And, um, yeah, it's, um, yeah, so, so brilliantly done. Um, so brilliantly done. And, um, yeah, that's why I was just like watching the tables turn and watching the script flipped, uh, uh, to, you know, kind of go against everything that he wanted. You know, it was, it was great. Yeah. All right. Well, Terry, how many yes. kitty kitty kitties out of five do you give <laughs> auditions? Uh, five. I, I mean, I, I can't even yeah. beat around the bush. This movie is <laughs> this movie is really good, and I think I when I when I added it back to Letterbox, and I noticed the one I first watched that I gave it a four, and I'm like, no, I I maybe back then wasn't seeing all the intric intric intricacies that it was doing but the fact that i was able to watch this knowing how it's going to end up and seeing the way that the the narrative unfolds just made me fall in love with it even more uh so for me it's five what about you mary beth yeah it's five like i said it it, this gave me an intro into j-horror into the world of like fucked up movies that aren't just about ghosts and the supernatural and monsters and i think there's so much more going on here than just Asami being scary. And I think it's so mm-hmm. smart in how it conveys this message of both misogynistic ideas in Japan and also like what happens, like what what the extreme end of those misogynistic and patriarchal values might look like. And like, hmm, men, maybe you created this society where a woman wants you to love her. And if you don't, she goes a little bit crazy and cuts off her feet. So I... <laughs> I As you do. <laughs> This is the future that happens if you are an incredible. <laughs> so yeah, I keep, have to give. Keep poking the bear. <laughs> See what happens, motherfuckers. Supreme Court of the United States. I got a piano wire for you. I'm sorry, that's not a threat, everybody. It was a joke. Please, no one come for me. I am not going to do that. But oh, Nick- we've got your back. We've got your back. So. Yeah. <laughs> Nick, you have the final word. How many kitty kitty kitties out of five do you give audition? I'm going to change it. I'm not going to give it any kitty kitty kitties. I'm going to give it five of those pins that go into his eyeballs because it's like yeah. five out of five. Um, it's, five uh, out of five. yeah, no, honestly, it's like it is a five out of five kitty kitty kitties because it's like unbelievable and um, it, it's only getting better with age as well, like, which is yes. really rare. Like, it's becoming more relevant. And again, 
I, I don't know if that was the intention, but it has it, it has done that with like the way the society has moved on and like we understand now that things aren't okay. And um, yeah, this film is just hitting every tone in that way. So like, I love it. Love it and can't recommend it enough. Hell yeah. Well, thank you so much, Nick, for joining us to talk about uh, Audition. Where can our listeners find you? And um, the floor is yours. What do you want to plug? Uh, so uh, we've got our film out on Tubi at the moment. Uh, so it's called Godless, the Eastfield Exorcism. So if you've got some time, check it out. Send us some love. Uh, you know, plug it. We don't have a marketing spend, like I said before. So it's like if you want to get in touch, hit us up, like share it with your friends. Um, but aside from that, I'm on Instagram, which is at Nick Kazakis and um, our film is at Eastfield Exorcism movie. I think it is. Uh, let me just double check that because uh, <laughs> we'll make sure to we'll add it in the in the yeah, show yeah, notes yeah. to make sure and, everyone can um, go there. Yeah, and like uh, you know, but uh, I love hearing from everybody, and I just wanted to say thank you so much for having me. Uh, you're doing amazing work for the horror community. Uh, the the movies that you're bringing to light that a lot of people haven't heard or haven't seen is just like being massive. So thank you so much to you two for doing such an awesome, awesome job. Well, thank you. We wouldn't have it if people weren't doing really cool stuff to highlight. So. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Exactly. Um, oh, that's me. Ha <laughs> um, So listen to see that from us. <laughs> It's Friday. Uh, listen, you hear it from is. us. We want to hear from you. What was your experience with Audition? You can send us an email at scarredforlifepodcast at gmail.com, or you can reach out to us directly on Twitter. I am at MB McAndrews. And I'm at Gailey Dreadful. And of course, don't forget to follow the podcast on Twitter at Scarred Podcast. And please don't forget to review, rate, and subscribe. And if you want to help support us, we are on Patreon. Thank you to Eric Power for our artwork. Thank you to Sean Keller for our music. Thank you, everyone, for listening. Please stay safe out there. But most importantly, stay creepy. And until next time. Scratch. There's a playful way you can do just that. Scratch with the key or acrylic nail. Scratch with the quill from a porcupine tail. Use a belt buckle from your friend Lamar. Or scratch with your pick while you play guitar. You can scratch in a bunch of different playful ways. Scratchers from the California lottery. A little play can make your day. Please play responsibly. Must be 18 years or older to purchase player claim. ACAST powers the world's best podcasts. Here's a show that we recommend. What is The Briefing Room? It's a behind-the-scenes look at how the criminal justice system works and the lives of the people within that system. If you love true crime, well, these are the real people who do the job every day of making sure justice is served. Hi, I'm Detective Dave. I'm Detective Dan. Together, we have decades of experience in local law enforcement, a profession that we think is often misunderstood. So we're going to explore how to do it right, and we won't shy away from when it's done wrong. These are stories you'll hear nowhere else. Unique, frank, and unvarnished. From the team that brought you Small Town Dicks, this is The Briefing Room. Episode 1 drops on August 30th. We'll meet you in The Briefing Room.
Acast helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. Acast.com. <laughs>